Something new is supported by listeners like you. Visit PayPal.com and help this podcast continue to grow, thrive, and be a part of the creative conversation. Are you working on something new? Hello, dear listeners. Welcome to episode 318 of Something New. I'm your host, Joel B. New. How's everybody doing? How's everyone's fourth? I feel like... The last couple of episodes, every time I record an opening monologue, like, we've just celebrated something. There's been a holiday, or we're all allowed to get married, or something like that. I don't want to say that the two are connected, but, you know, I'll just I'll just let history decide um, those types of things. How's everybody doing? Good? We're good? Uh, I'm doing great. I can't believe, uh, by the time this episode airs, my concert will be uh, 24 hours away. My New York Musical Theater Festival concert. I don't know if I've mentioned it. Um, Buy your tickets. Did everyone enjoy the the two-parter bonus episode with Jen Bender? Uh, That was was a fun, lovely surprise for me as well. Episode 317, parts 1 and 2. There's just friends that you don't get to see often enough. Hey, Strider. And um, she's definitely one of those. I'm so glad that, that that the podcast kind of forced us to sit down and actually catch up on life. And then to go back and listen to eight songs from To Hell and Back that had been on the podcast before and be like, oh yeah, that song, and that person did that, and that's cool. All right, well, before we get to my interview with Shakina, let me see, what what happened this last week? Well, this last week was the was our week of rehearsals for the concert. Everyone had their individual music rehearsals with me, and Joshua Zecker Ross led the ensemble music rehearsals. And on Friday, we had our very first band rehearsal. And they all sound really good, you guys. I just... With top-notch orchestrations by Scott Wasserman, and the band is led by Matt Castle, who's just so smart and so warm, and just... Everyone's kind of in it to win it, and I'm really, really excited to to report that. Um, you know, with concerts on, like, productions and workshops and, and other things like that, you know, time and money are extremely limited. Um, I know time and money are always limited, but, like, you know, when, when you only get a couple of rehearsals, you know, it, it could go one of two ways, and I'm just so pleased to announce <laughs> that it's going, that that's all going really, really well. On Thursday night, uh, To Hell and Back was invited to perform a couple of songs at Ben Cameron's Broadway Sessions, and um, alongside a lot of other nymph shows that were kind of selling their wares, and there were a lot of other cool shows that I totally intend to check out as well. I believe that's one of the perks of being among the opening night events, is that I have the rest of the festival not to think about the festival, so then I just get to go and and enjoy and celebrate others who are working on new work, including my friend Charlie Johnson, who is directing Head Voice, and his show is represented on Thursday night as well, and, um, and it looks like a lot of fun, so I can't wait to see and support that show as well. Things I'm looking forward to um, over the next two weeks, my friend Charles Sanchez has his web series entitled Merce, and that premieres on July 15th on YouTube, I want to say. So uh, definitely check that out. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful web series project. Um, I was involved in an earlier incarnation, and now the uh, the piece has just taken leaps and bounds forward, and I'm really, really excited to see where where he has taken his character, Merce. So yeah, in like 24 hours, To Hell and Back, an album musical in concert, 
an official 2015 New York Musical Theater Festival selection, uh, playing Tuesday, July 7th at 6 p.m. Uh, over at the Lori Beachman. Tickets are $27.50, but if you use the discount code 25HELL, it's 20% off. So basically, so then you're like paying 20 bucks plus, you know, the service fee or something like that. But because it's related to, it's associated with Nymph, there is no drink minimum. So please come and hear this really cool, fun piece with an amazing cast. We've got Blake White, who was in Wicked and Mamma Mia. And just like a really good soul. Like I'd only met him um, once or twice before at a Broadway Sessions thing that we were both involved in. But... He is so kind and so warm and open and honest, and I think he, he's he's bringing a lot of fun new colors to to the character of Jack. And we've got Becca Ayers, who I've worked with for years, and she's playing Jack's uh, girlfriend, Melody, and um, and she's bringing a lot of earthiness too. It's it's um, I don't know. She's really really special, and I look forward to you seeing what she does with the character. And then we've got Nika Graf Lanzaroni, who's playing Persephone, Queen of the Underworld, and she's bringing you some pretty, you know, fierce mythological realness. And then, and then to round out the cast, we've got Joshua Hink, Kate Steinberg, and Hansel Tan, all wonderful friends who are just bringing it. Uh, this is the first time Tehelm Back has implemented such a heavy-handed use of, of an ensemble sound. And, I mean, they're pretty much singing in every song, and uh, which is quite an undertaking. They're a really, really terrific, positive, strong trio um, that's supporting and making this concert, frankly. That about does it. Please go to nymph.org slash to hell and back and get your tickets. And there we go. I send you off into your week. Have a wonderful week. And I will see you at the Beachman. And without further ado, here is episode 318 with Shakina Nafak. Are you this is Joel B. New, and you're listening to Something New, my chance to talk with the savviest performers I know, to hear their stories, and get to the heart of what makes them the working, multifaceted artists they have come to be. Today's guest artist is the founding artistic director of Musical Theatre Factory, and the first trans woman to be honored with a Lilly Award, recognizing the remarkable contributions to the American theatre made by women. Her autobiographical one-woman show has played Joe's Pub, 54 Below, Sophie's, TheaterWorks Silicon Valley, Barrington Stage Company, and was the flagship project of her groundbreaking Kickstart Her campaign to crowdsource funds for her gender confirmation. She holds a bachelor's degree in community studies, a minor and a graduate certificate in theater arts from the University of California, Santa Cruz, as well as an MFA in experimental choreography and a PhD in critical dance studies from UC Riverside. She is a proud alumna of the Drama League Directors Project and a member of the Stage Directors and Choreographers Union. Her writings on theater and dance have been published in the Drama Review and the anthology Dancing Across Borders. Her first book, Buto Ritual Mexicano, Alchemy is Dancing, is really good, but no one buys it because it was published by an obscure academic press in Germany, and it's really expensive. So if you want to read it, email her, and she'll send you a PDF. Obviously, I'm talking about Shakina Nafak. Were you recording? Oh, so, yeah, I was recording. That was great. Okay, that's perfect. Okay. First take. One and done. You're like Angela Lansbury. I am. A lot of people say that. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> she 
Shakina Nathak, thanks for being on my show. Oh, I'm really excited to be on your show. How are you doing? Well, thank you. Good. I had so much fun just singing your song. Thank you. I had fun hearing you sing it. It's that that thing is maybe twelve years, twelve hours, twelve hours old or something. Well, that's like everything that um, I'm about. I know, right? Like making the new song happen. Yeah, and thank thank you for making this one happen. For in, sure, in many ways. So we are we are here sitting casually in the musical theater factory, um, one of the coolest places uh, in New York at this time, and I wanted to talk uh, to you about lots of things. Here we go. This is off to a really good start. <laughs> uh, well, we are meeting tonight actually on a very significant night in American history. Absolutely. Um, the you know this will you know it'll be old news. It'll be we'll be wrapping you know the fish with this in two weeks. But as of right now, the Supreme Court has has deemed it unconstitutional to ban same sex marriage, and um, that's kind of awesome. I've been crying at my desk. Um, for that, and like, and just like getting to getting to know you better online, like I've I've been kind of welling up all day, and it's it's um, like your your story, your stories, and and your mission statements, and you know you're so you know you know exactly who you are, and you know exactly. I mean, I mean from 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 me, you know, it feels like you you know exactly who you are, and you know exactly what you're about, and what you want, and what you want of the world, what you expect of the world, and. And just, you know, if I were wearing a hat, I would take it off. It's just, it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> well, really, you, really Joel. impressive. And um, so, so let me tell my dear listeners who, who may not know who you are, uh, why I'm, I'm so verklempt. Uh, so, so you are the founding artistic, artistic director of the Musical Theater Factory. That's correct. And that is, I have many blurbs on what that is, uh, but shortly, um, the Musical Theater Factory is dedicated to helping musical theater artists develop and present new work in a collaborative atmosphere free from the pressures of critical or commercial success. That is our mission. That's a beautiful mission. Thank you. Yeah. And um, I was lucky enough back in September of last year, uh, the, the factory invited my musical to Helen back uh, for their third round of 4x15. And, you know, my team and I learned so much just from those five intense hours of putting something up on its feet. And I'd never had the opportunity to put something up on its feet. I mean, you know. Like, yeah, that's, I think, the reason, one of the primary reasons why we created this space was because, you know, most early career writers are writing for concert presentations or table readings or stand readings, and they don't have a chance to see their piece live and move and breathe. Yeah. And when we were able to open this, this room up, we thought, well, what kind of programming can we create that would allow writers and composers to actually see their pieces move and then collaborate with directors and choreographers, music directors, and, and then, of, of course, performers to bring it to life? Because you ultimately need that information to learn what it is that you're creating. Absolutely. Now, who was that initial we? Well, I uh, was first offered this space by a friend of mine who said, hey, why don't you build something in this room? I'll give, you, give it to you for a year to try and make something. And so I emailed a group of friends, and I said, uh, this sounds crazy, but I think I'm going to build a black box theater in the back of a porn studio near Times Square. Do you want to help? And um, those were sort of the founding members of the Musical Theater Factory, uh, a group of um, performers writers, composers, and directors, um, and it started with about 20 of us, and we had a series of work parties where we developed a, a plan to 
turn this junky old room into a black box theater. And then we had a, a series of community brainstorms where we met and we talked about what kind of programming would serve the needs of our greater community. And that's where we decided, you know, to have the 4x15 program, um, our, the way our development residencies would work, the salons, uh, our volunteer acting database, all that stuff kind of came out of these initial conversations. Wow. That's really exciting. And how long ago was that? The planning for that was in uh, mostly in May of of 2014. Are you uh, we, we opened. We opened. The factory opened. We had our opening night party on May 31st. Um, last year, so we've just celebrated our one-year anniversary. Congratulations! Thank you. And in that yeah. in that one year, I mean, since that point, we have supported the development of seventy-five new musicals uh, through our different programs. That's ridiculous. Yeah, we've had we've had just about eight hundred volunteers work with us for a combined total of over ten thousand hours of volunteer collaboration. Wow! In one year, that's amazing. One of the many things I love about the factory is that um, I don't feel alone. You know, so my experience, b- both as a writer and a performer, uh, but more so as a writer, really, is that the the creative process can be so isolating, um, especially when you're just like behind your computer at, or behind your piano all the time. And one of the things that we really wanted to do here was create a hub where people were not only working on their own work, but also seeing other people work on their own work and getting opportunity to share and get feedback and collaborate. Yeah. So bringing people out of the isolation of the writing process and into a more conversational approach to creating new musical theater was really important to us. And, and it, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, they have a place to like breathe and decompress. And sometimes they'll just come by the factory after they've been like trapped in their studio or in, or in a practice room for eight hours working on something. Just to like remember that other people are also doing that. Yeah, there's a whole other, there's a world out there. Yep. Yeah, I love it. Um, so I, I want to take us back, way back. Um, where are you from? I am from Laguna Beach, California. All right, all the right. real OC. <laughs> before it was the real OC, I grew up there uh, through junior high, and then lived elsewhere in Orange County, um, and then went to. Uh, college at UC Santa Cruz and then graduate school at UC Riverside and then lived in Los Angeles for like five years or so before moving to New York. Wow. And what, what brought you here? <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I, so yeah. New York had always been the dream. Yep. Um, I got, I went down a really like circuitous path though to get here. I spent a lot of time, I ended up like delving into a real academic, um, Path for a bit. I, I have a PhD in critical dance studies. I know. Did you is, like just get the the certificate recently? Oh no no no. no making... That was that was like a this. It was one of those like time hop. Um, Facebook oh things. those darn time. Yeah, hops. it was two thousand nine, two thousand nine yeah. that I finished. Um, but uh, so six years ago. Wow. Yeah, and um, and and I was doing a lot of like avant garde performance art and like queer Chicano theater and. Um, just like felt like I had gotten so far away from musical theater that I might never get back. Um, but thankfully, um, I, uh, I got a couple opportunities to come out here and work professionally before I made the, the actual move. Um, so, yeah. So your initial dream was to come to New York and, and be just a, I mean, just a performer. Was that a director? A director, actually. really? Yeah, I had okay. stopped performing. I had stopped performing. Um, as a musical theater actor, I mean, the last show that I had done until this moment was in 2004. Wow. Yeah, so 11 years ago, I was Cousin Kevin and Tommy. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. In a summer stock. Production. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. yeah. 
and now you're and now you're back on an, uh, on a New York stage actually perform like being in someone else's musical that that you didn't write you I didn't... had nothing to do with this yeah. yeah I'm actually I just was asked I was invited to come in and audition and I did that for the first time in over a decade uh, and yeah so now what did you sing in your audition I sang the moon song from Mame okay um, but I do like a really slappy vaudevillian style version of it <laughs> I love it yeah <laughs> the man in the moon is a lady like that and then is this the right trajectory you found yourself Working with with Barrington, right? So I or am I jumping around? No, that was that's that's like how kind of how it happened. I, my my first like gig was observing Michael Mayer on the um, New York Stage and Film Workshop of On a Clear Day You Can See Forever, and that was just a short gig one summer. I came out here and felt it out, and then I went back to LA and applied to the Drum League Directors Project, which had just started this new musical directing fellowship, and that was going to be housed at Barrington Stage Company, and. And then, so that's what brought me out. I came to New York for Barrington Stage, and after that one summer in the Berkshires, moved to the city. And then it just so happened that Barrington hired me back to be their associate producer for two seasons following. So for a couple of years, I was, you know, two thirds of my time in New York City and one third of my time at Barrington Stage. And then finally, it wasn't until the fall of 2013 that I moved here, to, like solidly. Yeah, so it hasn't really been that long. No, no. I'm I mean, coming up on my four-year New York anniversary. That is ridiculous. Yeah, I do feel like I, um, I, f- I feel like I, I met you and I met the factory at the same time. Like it was just all of a sudden everyone in my in 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 the circle, you know, because it's a small yeah, circle, yeah, small crammed circle, and everyone was just musical theater factory, Shakina, and and I felt like. I, and, and it sounded like it had been around forever, and I, I was like, Where, what is this cool club that I'm just now hearing about, and I'm, you know... Yeah, so in my, like, off time from Barrington, when I was in New York, I, I, had, a, I had a couple shows that I was interested in, or attached to as a director, and I had been self-producing back in L.A. and here, because that was the only way I knew how to get my stuff done. Amen. And then when, I think the reason why my... <laughs> you know, rise to notoriety or whatever as, as it came in conjunction with the factories is because I really launched these two branding endeavors at the same time. It was in the fall of 2013 that um, I announced to the world that I was going to kickstart my, my gender transition, um, particularly the confirmation surgery, and created Kickstart Her, which was a, like a brand of its own, and then at the same time announced to my friends that I was no longer going to be self-producing work, but that I was doing all of my work under the label Musical Theater Factory, which, you know, not coincidentally, has the, you know, initials MTF, which is also an acronym for male to female, transgender, whatever. So it was it was sort of this synthesized way for me to make sense of what I was doing on a personal and professional level, but then yeah. it put both things out into the world in a big way yeah. at the same time. And here I am. Here we are, Joel. Here we are. I love it. That move segues nicely into, um, like, because you've written quite a bit for yourself as well. Is that? And, yeah. Because you've written, you've worked on work where you're writing for like, like, like a junk. Right. Yeah. You know, like you're the book writer uh-huh. and and, and yes. more on that piece. Yeah. Or pieces like that, right? Yeah. So, uh, I as a director, I consider myself a developmental director. I've only worked on maybe one piece by a playwright who wasn't in the room 
Um, so everything I've done has been new work. New work. And that's been my training since my undergraduate work. And uh, so there have been times when I've worked on a project as a director where I've also become involved as a writer later on in the process. Mm-hmm. Like... Um, like John, they see you in the room and they're, they're like, she, she's smart. Yeah, and like, how can we solve this problem? And we have dramaturgical discussions and those dramaturgical discussions lead into a different type of collaboration, which then sort of is like, well, why don't we write together? Um, and that's what happened with Junk. So you've written, you, you've written pieces that are outside of you, and you've, but you've also done the opposite and have, have written pieces that are um, very inside personal. Of me. Inside <laughs> of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my, I mean, I guess looking at my... My my performance work has usually revolved around issues of identity that mm-hmm. I've been exploring yeah. and needed a forum to express. Yeah. And so since college, I've, I've worked a lot in performance art. Um, always sort of whatever it is that I was grappling with personally, I would find a way to put that out in a public forum to like create a larger conversation. Hmm. Um, and I think the the... The most clearest example of that is One Woman Show. Yeah. Which uh, really came out of this realization that I, if I were going to be transitioning in this community where I was just beginning to establish myself professionally, that I knew there would be a lot of questions um, and I wanted to be preemptive and yeah. give people the backstory and let people know what was going on. So I had this idea to create a show. And then because I have so many wonderfully talented friends, I asked a few of them to write original songs for the show. And then that's, that's, and that was actually the first musical theater factory production. So what's it like writing for yourself? It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, writing for me is the most violent of all the creative processes. When I was working on my dissertation, I wanted to like throw my computer out the window every day. Um, and it's no different whether it's academic writing or creative writing or writing a really intense business email. All of these things for me are really challenging. I think there's almost like a violent act of, of, putting words on paper or notes on paper or or like typing it out and making it official because it's so um, it's so free-flowing when it's in your mind and you can sort of exist in all of the possibility but once you commit something down it's forcing it into some kind of structure yeah and to me that's like a little terrifying yeah so for one woman show I actually did a series of these events called story time with Shakina up at Barrington stage where late at night after whatever the shows were happening happened, uh, people would hang out and I would like get up at the mic in in Mr. Finn's cabaret and tell a couple crazy stories from my childhood and then sing a song or two that I felt connected to those stories, but they were all covers at the time, but I was just generating material. Yeah. So it was from those story time sessions that I pulled eventually the text that became one woman show. And I'm doing the same thing now for uh, for post-op, the new piece that I'm working on. I've had a couple story time sessions here at the factory uh, to ha- just help me talk, you know, about the stories that I want... To tell the stories that I want to tell. Yeah. Rather than write the stories that I want to tell. Yeah, so really it's like an elaborate version of, like, walking around with, like, your memo app. And yeah. Yeah. But the thing is that even, even the memo app is, like, you and your brain. And mm-hmm. for You're me... You're still missing that. Yeah, the, the, like, engagement with other people and... Um, the performative element of storytelling that I think only comes from when you have an audience and someone to exchange, you know, ideas with. And also one of the things that I love is, um, is like the tangent as an idea. And uh, I love in, in real storytelling, 
like real person to person storytelling when you think you start out thinking that you're going to be addressing one specific topic or or talking around one scenario and then these other things come up in your head and you can go in these other directions and what what might seem disparate otherwise actually has some point of connection yeah and and then i found like that was really successful when returning back to my show that i could be telling one main narrative, but also getting a lot of these one-liners or funny little anecdotes that yeah. I might have otherwise forgotten if I was just focusing on typing out or writing yeah. the one story. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but when I'm when I'm writing in my room, especially if I'm writing dialogue, like I'm very quiet, and and I and it's you know that that's definitely a technique I want to start trying because I'm you know like I'm creating dialogue in silence, right, right, and that's that's. Yeah. yeah. Well, another great reason why the factory exists mm-hmm. because then you can write something and bring it in and hear actors read it and be like, "Oh, but that's not how people talk." Yeah. Or like, <laughs> "Oh, that line really works." Yeah. You know. Do you write music as well, or do you? I write lyrics and I write melodies, but I don't play an instrument. So, like back when I was writing my dissertation, I I also wrote this um, kind of adorable gay folk rock album. Um, <laughs> but it was me writing these tunes and uh, and melodies and then collaborating with a friend who m- made guitar arrangements for all of them. I have a big grand question for you. Because uh-huh. you are a founding artistic director of a, of a factory. Yeah. Um, what is your stance on the current state of the musical theater? Well, I'm never going to be a hater. I mean, the musical theater is awesome. And... Uh, I feel like as long as we exist as an industry and a cultural form, uh, and that we can, as long as we can maintain a prolific output of new material, uh, we will sustain as one of the true iconic American art forms. Um, where I feel like there are challenges um, might be. Uh, in the areas of uh, originality and access, I'll say. Um, I think there's, like, these really big trends to do, um, you know, adaptations and um, projects that already have name recognition attached, and uh, original work gets sh- uh, shadowed by these larger things that are coming in from books or films. Um, and then, uh, financially... Uh, developing a new work is so burdensome, yeah. which is another reason why we created the factory as this alternative model of trying to do something in a collaborative way together when we don't have a lot of resources. So, um, unfortunately, there's a system in place uh, that makes it very difficult for new ideas to come to the forefront in our industry, whether that's new writers, new directors. Uh, new content um, because people are sort of putting their money where they feel like there's uh, enough previously existing, I don't know, reputation to garner a return on their investment uh, rather than taking risks on a lot of unknown things, which is like how new art needs to get generated. Yeah. Through risks. Through risk-taking. You were recently honored at the Lilly Awards. I was. You received a Lilly Award for Working Miracles. For Working Miracles. 
What a wonderful category. Yeah, they made it up for me. Yeah. Are you serious? You're the <laughs> yeah. first working miracle recipient? I'm the recipient? first working miracle recipient. That's amazing. <laughs> they make up all the awards. Not all of them, but every year they make up a couple. And That's that great. was one that was made up for me. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it was a hugely moving experience. Yeah, yeah. I listened to your acceptance speech today. Another reason I got really, really teary today. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, Cheetah Rivera. Cheetah Rivera, you know, uh, that was thank unreal. Yeah. The yeah. funny thing was that a year previous... <clears throat> Um, I went to the Lily Awards that were, it was the day, so, like, 2014, May 31st, the factory opened, June 1st, Kickstarter reached its goal, June 2nd, I went to the Lily Awards and just cried, because I was in this room full of incredible women making incredible theater, and I was like, all I want to do is be a part of this, and then one year later, yeah, I am. Yeah, you are. That's kind of amazing. That is amazing. Maybe people who don't know, like the Lily Awards are, they've been around for a couple of years now. Yeah, they, this was just their sixth year. Yeah. Um, and they are, they were created to recognize the extraordinary contributions made to the American theater by women. And I was the first transgender recipient, which felt groundbreaking. I mean, in addition to, yeah. in addition to it being so personally validating, it also felt like a really uh, incredible political maneuver for the Lilies, for the theater community, yeah, um, and for the American theater in, in general, like beyond even New York City, just to start ag- acknowledging transgender representation as part of our conversation around yeah. feminist representation. Yeah. That's pretty so awesome. This is a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still, I mean, you know, on and off the record, like, I still get nervous, you know, I'm like, I'm like... Does she want to... I mean, clearly you you talk about it, but I, I still... Talk about it. I mean... Well, that's my whole thing. Yeah. So my whole thing has been um, about demystification. Yeah. So I've, I've been so open with my process. No, I um, know. Not I... only through Omen Show, but I blogged all the way through my, like, surgery and recovery. I read a lot of them. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have no... I mean, I think it's really important because if we, if we don't ask... Um, questions we never learn and right. if we don't know if we don't have information then we make assumptions or we operate in ignorance and I, both of those things are not helpful yeah so so I just um, yeah I'm really happy to talk about my process always with the understanding that like I do not speak for all trans people I just right. know myself pretty well and can articulate my own experience yeah and you articulate very well oh thank you thank you as I stumble over the word articulate <laughs> <laughs> so you um you wear many hats. I do wear a lot of hats. <laughs> so many hats. <laughs> so many hats. <laughs> Are you, I mean, when you get the opportunity to just wear one, or maybe two, mm-hmm. um, is that easy for you, or is that difficult? It's very fulfilling to, yeah. to engage deeply in one's creative work, and uh, as any artist would yeah. attest to. Absolutely. So when you're wearing a lot of hats, sometimes the breadth is um, getting more of your attention and energy than the depth. And that's Mm. a big challenge uh, and something I'm trying to learn how to navigate between my work as the artistic director of the factory, um, between my directing work, and between my performing work. Um, And also my writing. I mean, there's a lot of things going on. But I'm not the only person trying to juggle all these things. This This is what we do. Is Yeah, yeah, yeah. Renaissance but that, artists, but, but that doesn't, you know, um, like that doesn't unjustify where you're, you know, like right, frustration, right? I know, like, so for example, um, today I was in rehearsal for Manuel versus the Statue of Liberty, which is the nymph show that I'm uh, performing in, 
which opens June. which opens July twenty first through twenty seventh at the Alice Griffin Jewel Box Theater at the Signature Center. Um, it's by Naomi De La Puente and David Davila. Um, Jose Zayas is directing. Sydney Eric Wright is doing choreography. It's a great, great team. That's great. And I, uh, as I was in this rehearsal, and like I said, it, it has been eleven years since I've worked as an actor. One woman show was was performance art and cabaret kind of, but it was mm-hmm. just, it was me being me on stage singing my songs about my life. Yeah. Um, so now I'm like involved in questions about you know originating a role and learning choreography and. Um, memorizing all these other things, and um, on one hand, it was it was so exciting to be back in that beginner's mind sort of uh, point of view, um, and also like, I mean, deeply, deeply fulfilling to be engaged in performance as a woman, because mm. like I said, the last role that I played was Cousin Kevin, and I I didn't realize at the time when I stopped acting and said that I was devoting myself to directing, the reason I gave myself was that people would only take me seriously if I committed to one thing, because when you're young, you can't do everything, yep. you know? And that it may be sort of true in the eyes of the, of the industry or whatever, but for me personally, I think what it came down to was that I couldn't, uh, I couldn't stand being seen on stage as a man in life, I could play the role, and it was fine. And I actually enjoyed the irony of being very butch at times. <laughs> but um, but once I was on stage, I was being read male, no matter what I did. If I wore women's clothing, I was a man in drag, mm. uh, even if I said I was a transgender performance artist. You know, and so um, so one woman show was my first time back on stage in a decade, yeah. and it was on my terms. And now. Uh, uh, like when I announced when the casting was announced for for Manuel versus Statue of Liberty, someone just posted on my wall actress. And that was um you know, that was just so like yeah. Yeah. I'm an actress. Yeah, you are. Finally. <laughs> you know, it only took this long. But yeah. um no, But yeah, that. it's it's real. It's real. So I wanted just to, to uh highlight what you said about um, that fear of that stigma of you know if, if you do, if you do more than one thing then you're not really mm-hmm. serious about it or I mean because that's that was one of the reasons I started the podcast mm-hmm. which was to introduce the world to people who who are doing more than one thing right and and wouldn't be the people or the artists they are if mm-hmm. they weren't doing those things yeah I mean there's that adage like the jack of all trades master of none I hate that, I hate that too um, you know I look at I mean one of my one <clears throat> of my sort of um, professional idols is Joe Mantello, who, like, in yeah. the same, you know, decade, directed Wicked and starred on Broadway in The Normal Heart. Yeah. Like, go big or go home. Yeah. And and be good at more than one thing. Yeah. You know, like, why not? Right. Especially as, especially as theater artists. I mean, I grew up in a, in a, in a kind of, um, educational environment that was, like, sorely underfunded for theater, uh, what I think most of us did, where you you had to learn how to do all the things, right? You had to learn yeah. how to build a set, to paint a set, to strike a set, to hang a light, to um, act and to stage manage and to direct. Yeah. And um, why that should stop as we move forward. I mean, yes, pick the career path that you're passionate about. But um, for me, the the multiple things that I do have always informed and made me better at the other things that I do. And just because you choose one path doesn't mean that you've 
now just like close the doors to all these other paths. Totally. Oh, yeah. sometimes I have this like terrible anxiety about the musical theater factory because we've we've like grown so big in one year. And I think, like, oh, my God, I'm never going to be able to actually just direct or just, like, perform or just write. I'm just always going to be doing factory all the time. But, you know, that's where my attention's being called to for the moment. That's what's... I'm doing the thing that's in front of me that's, like, asking to be done. Yeah. And, you know, clearly that's diversifying because now I'm doing an imp show. That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see it. So going back to talking about the factory, what have you learned from the musical theater factory that maybe you didn't expect to learn? Some things that I've learned in this past year, yeah, that I can be a fundraiser. I mean that yeah, you that can. is the thing that we're all the most afraid of as artists. And between Kickstarter and the capital campaign for the Musical Theater Factory, um, I've been able to raise a lot of money um, by appealing to people on 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 very like emotional and also practical level. That was something I never thought I could do. Um, I mean, just like feeling capable in general. You know, hmm. the the amount of of work that it takes to um, support 75 new musicals in one year is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And also that I've, like, managed to be, like, so staunch about um, still being able to do my own creative work in the midst of all that. Yeah. So so the fact that, like, that, like, si se puede, that, like, yes, you can, you can do big things, that's a great thing to, like, learn and hold on to. In terms of um, learning about my colleagues and the community, one, I would say that the um, that there's a really deep need for community and for accessible development programs for young professionals in this city. Um, the factory is like attempting to meet that need, but we we aren't the only ones, and we shouldn't be the only ones. So, yep. like, really seeing what our community needs is something. You know, like the field of dreams thing. Like, if you build it, they will come. I mean, that's yeah. that's true too, because we. We started from nothing, you know, and now we have, like, over a thousand volunteers signed up with us. We did a montage of the factory in our heads I love a montage. Me too. Um, What what would be in that montage right now? I'll just, like, skip through chronologically. So the opening night party Uh um, a a little over a year ago was one of those moments where you were like, something magical is happening and we're all going to know we were here when it happened. Yeah. And those are really great moments whenever they happen. Um, they're rare. They're rare. Yeah, they're really rare. Uh, we did a concert at the end of last summer, our first summer season at Joe's Pub. That was really great, where we did a song from each of the shows we had already worked on in our first summer. Awesome. Um, and uh, and Tanya Pinkins sang this really incredible tune by um, Brandon Anderson and Nico Sakalakos called Art, um, Art as Action that I just loved. That was a killer moment. Then the night before I went to Thailand... For my surgery, uh, I performed one woman, one woman show here at the factory for three nights. The three nights leading up to my trip, and the last night um, was was just ridiculous. I mean, it was packed. It was like a thousand degrees in here. Yeah. Um, there was an after party. Joe Iconis and family performed uh, as like a send off for me. It was an incredible night. Um, then I would say, like coming back. Uh, we had a wonderful holiday salon that was really cool with Jenny Stafford, Sam Salmon, and Alana Jacoby. Um, and a bunch of people came and like played their original holiday tunes. Also, like all through the winter, I was recovering from my surgery and uh, really unable to do anything <laughs> physical. Uh, but like, like <laughs> dealing with that while 
<laughs> rehearsals were going on and meetings were happening and the fundraising and um, it was like a it was like what a crazy person who does that <laughs> so that whole that whole moment was nuts um, and then another thing that that's hard to like pin in one montage moment but is that we've had this writers group that's been the one consistent thing like through the entire year uh, where every other week for the most part um, a few um, fabulous writers have committed to engaging in a process of development together. Hmm. Um, and that's just been really special time. What's coming up at the factory? I'm not going to list all There's so yeah. much. There's yeah, so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, there's too much to there's list. Too much. But just, what I will just... tell you that's really exciting is that uh, all year long we've had these monthly events called salons. Um, the factory salon, which you've they're been like to. They're like my favorite thing. Yeah. They make me so happy. They're really great. It's yeah. basically we, we invite a featured artist to come in uh, sometimes with a couple friends to do featured sets, but then it's a, like a long it's a long open mic night of writers sharing new work. Yeah. Um, and I, I wanted to feel like you were in Cole Porter's living room, and we, we move the piano into the middle of space, and everyone just hangs out and plays tunes all night. Um, well, during the New York Musical Theater Festival, we are... Um, doing what we're calling a salonathon, and from the 8th to the 26th, I think, I could be wrong, but for 19 nights, we're doing back-to-back composer showcases and salons. Now, they're not four hours long like our monthly salons are, mm-hmm. but from 10.30 to around midnight, every night for 19 nights, we're going to be showcasing a different composer, um, they're going to have like a 55-minute set, like a nice full set, nice. and then... Um, and then there'll be like an you know, open mic component or whatever, just chill and hang out. But basically, we're becoming like Nymph's late night hangout spot for the entire that. festival. So I that's going to be really fun. Cool. Yeah, and and just as a little plug, um, there are for thirty bucks you can get a pass to all nineteen nights. So if you think about what you pay to go to one of these composer concerts <laughs> at other venues around town, mm-hmm. you can come hang out nineteen nights in a row and hear some of the best young writers in New York City. Um, most of them are founding or first year factory members. A few of them are NIMP participants. It's mm-hmm. going to be a killer, a killer series. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm so glad they approached you to do that. Yeah, it was a great, a great uh, cross. Did they approach you or did you? Yeah, well, we, we've been talking. Uh, Jen Bender, who's the new programming director of NIMP, uh, is Love a big her. fan of the factory. Yeah, she's totally great. Uh, she's one of the originators of Nymph, and then um, she was out directing in the world for a while, and now has come back to take over programming. She's a big fan of the factory. We were talking about like how we could, you know, do something together uh, this summer, and uh, this was the idea. And it's it's going to be great. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of work for yeah. our staff. Nineteen late nights, but um, afterwards we will feel like champions. <laughs> so, yeah. awesome, awesome. And if people want to get involved, you already—I know you have like a thousand volunteers, but you know, <laughs> yeah, we sure you always, always need help. We always, always need, help. need help. Yeah. So the factory's at a really big turning point. Um, I mean, the factory always, in its first year, has just, it's just constantly turning. been—it's it's just, just turning. turning. We're turning. So the only way to get involved with Musical Theater Factory is to get involved with Musical Theater Factory, and you can go to our website, which is mtf.nyc/volunteer, and you can sign up to create a volunteer profile. And that there's a list of like thirty or forty some odd skills that you may possess in the musical theater. And if you click on the skills that you have, uh, we will contact you when we need help in any of those areas. Yeah. For all the performers and, and directors, uh, there's also, you'll get an instant email back asking for your resume and the YouTube links you want to submit. So we already have that on your volunteer profile. Yeah. Um, we're also uh, planning for a really exciting gala. I don't know if I'm at liberty yet to say what it is. Um, because we're still in the planning stages and we haven't made a press announcement. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. it's going to be huge. I'm so excited. And it's on November 9th. Okay. 
um, and we're looking for volunteers to help out with that too. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a big event. It's gonna raise a lot of eyebrows and hopefully a lot of money. Awesome, awesome. Um, and then speaking of raising money, uh, we are we are um, at a really incredible place in our capital campaign. We are two thirds of the way. Uh, to our goal for our capital campaign. Wow. Um, in, combined with our pledges and our sponsorship program um, and the donations that we've already received, we have 100000 of the $150,000 that we're trying to raise, which is really great. That's amazing. So, wow. Um, so, so people who want to support the factory financially can become sponsors. You can donate uh, as little as $5 a month. It's a, it's a regular sponsorship program. It's like Netflix for the factory. Um <laughs> And uh, it helps us, it pays our operational costs, so like keeping the lights on and the AC on and the internet. Um, That all adds up in Times Square. That all adds up in Times Square. Yeah, so you can find out more about that on our website too. MTF.NYC. MTF.NYC. Are you working on something new? Now is the time where we're going to set up the song. Oh, cool. Yeah. So I think the story of the song is pretty cool. Thank you. Yeah, I I think so too. So, So Shakina was kind enough and generous enough to learn and perform a brand new song and we're talking brand new um you know she she can't she she can a good she's good she's good to me um so joel for the listeners uh joel had contacted me about being on this podcast a while back and i was like yeah it sounds great and he's like yeah the way it works is we'll talk and you'll learn a new tune and then we'll do it and it'll be great and then uh and then um just this week and when we were going to set up the meeting he sent me uh, two tunes to choose between and they were both songs that had been like already written and had been performed by other people and I was like oh these are great Joel but like didn't you tell me we're gonna do a new tune like I know you have a big nymph concert coming up tomorrow night yeah but um but is there anything just like that we can just jam on and and um and I was like I I I heard the call and (laughs) and I answered and so um I told it and I like on, a, I was, I was, I wrote you back, and I was like, "Well, you know, if I have some time on Thursday night, I can write this, and you know, if if that sounds good." And you were like, "Yes, yeah." I mean, that's what the factory is about. That's yeah. what I'm about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I kind of, and and so it was just like mega accountability. And now I was like, "Well, now I have to, you know." And I also want to impress you because I like you, and so <laughs> I wanted. So so the pressure was on, and um, you know, so I wrote a song last night, and um, and we we did it today, and I. Yeah, what's the show yeah. that it's from? Yeah, so so this song, which is called, uh, <laughs> after look at it, Your Baby Better Cover His Tracks, is from, uh, a, theoretically, it's from McKinsey and the Missing Boy, which is my melodrama noir musical that I'm working on with uh, New York Theatre Barn, which is also an advocate of new work. Yeah, and, absolutely. And um, I've been working on that piece for, uh, for a bit with Laura Brandel as the director, and we are doing a table read of this brand new draft in a couple of days where I'm gathering a couple of actors, and they're reading the book scenes, and I'll be singing and playing the songs on the piano, and very, very old school, very informal. And, um, and I sent Laura the latest libretto, and, um, and she caught me at the same, the, the same, uh, problem, because she, she's like, there's a lot of reprises in Act 2, Joel. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And, um, she's like, yeah, there's this moment here. She's like, this can't be this reprise. It can't be this song. And so, um... So I kind of had I had I had two lovely ladies um, asking me to um, stop dicking around and write a new song, and so so I did, and um, I think it turned out pretty good. I had fun singing it. Thank you. Yeah. I had fun hearing you singing. Oh, great! Playing it and making up accompaniment as we well. Yeah, went. totally. There yeah. we go. So so Mackenzie is uh, is an original story about this woman set in the 1930s who's 
a um, it's it's loosely based on a dream that I had, and loosely based on Scheherazade. Okay, great. Yeah, so McKinsey is just like this pathological liar who's really good at just like telling stories or just she can she can say anything to get what she wants. Like that's just kind of how she is. And um, until one day she you know she's in the wrong place at the wrong time, and everything is taken away from her. She's she's arrested. Her you know she loses her sister. She loses her three old son. Like she's pulled from everything, and like that's the first scene. Wow. And then we fast forward 13 years, and she's out of jail, and she wants to start things up again and start her life, and nobody and nothing wants her. Mm-hmm. And she has to figure out what she has to do to to do all that. And it, it um, fate steps in and kind of tempts her with this, you know, you can tell one more lie, and that will get you everything back. And she, so, and she's like, okay, I'll do it. And so she's creating this whole new um, lie around her and about herself. And she's, you know, um, it's, it's, it's really fun. And, uh, like, it's super dark, but the music's really bright. Like, that's kind of the... Cool. Uh, yeah. The music is all songs that, they all serve a double feature, at least. They, a double purpose, rather. They, they serve, they serve what's happening in the story, but they're also extractable like they're Mm -hmm. all you know most of the songs in the score are songs that they're all aware of what they're singing Mm -hmm. does that make yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. i think the word diegetic Mm -hmm. these are diegetic i love that word diegetic me too and um so it's a diegetic song but it also speaks to what is actually happening and um yeah it's fun and we'll We'll see what's working in a couple of I'll days. just say that from not knowing any of that when you showed me the sheet music, I definitely interpreted like a, like, not that. Into the, when I was singing it, when I was singing Good. it. Good, I didn't want to tell I you was not. I, didn't want I to was not like a nun and a mother and her estranged son. I was like definitely um, giving, like, giving, I was like the brassy best friend giving advice to the girl who just, like, got dumped. That's the other idea. That's Great. the other side. I got that part right. Great. Cool. <laughs> so that's and that's the idea. So like when you hear these songs and then you you know, you then you hear these songs existing in the story, it's it's like a fucked up jukebox musical. Yeah, well what I love that's... about that is that like all like you know, the original American musicals of yesteryear were all these songs that would also be like radio tunes. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's nice to like create a show where the songs are extractable in that way. Yeah. It's fun. It's it's been a Weird challenge, you Very know. Cool. Especially like talking about reprises because you can't you can't move them, you can't shape them, you uh-huh. can't you know. Right. All of a sudden, there can't be these words going. You know, well, here's what I've learned since I sang these other lyrics. It's like, right, or unless you're going to break your own rules. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. not the no, not, no, 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 not the goal. Yeah, especially in Act Two. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're going to break rules, do it in Act One. Act That's four. what I always say. Shakina <laughs> <laughs> Nafak. Um, remember, this performance of your Baby Better Covers tracks will be available on SoundCloud and the digital sheet music on Repertoire, both free downloads until the next episode. Fantastic. Yeah. And then if you want the sheet music after that, you have to buy it. Uh, be sure to follow me on all things social media, and you may find those links and so much more on joelbnew.com. Visit my guests' websites, which are, as we said, mtf.nyc and shakinanafak.com. Just, oh, yes? That's old. Oh. Honey, I'm, I'm in .nyc, too. Shakina.nyc. That's it? That's all you Shakina. need. Shakina.nyc. Shakina.nyc. All right. Shakin's on Twitter and Instagram. And 
Facebook. Is that E-E-N-Z? E-E-N-Z. Shakins. Shakins. Uh, <laughs> subscribe to, rate, review this podcast, tell your friends all about it. Uh, next episode is a behind-the-scenes look at the upcoming reading of New York Theatre Barn's uh, Help with McKinsey and the Missing Boy. Um, so that'll be in late July, so look for that. Shout out to the Theatre Barn. Theatre Barn, what? Special thanks to Peyton Royal, who handles my website. Stephanie Layton, who does my graphic design. Um, I was to thank the accompanist, which was me. Uh, <laughs> Musical Theatre Factory for hosting us today. It That's was right. really cool to jam in this space. Yeah, I always awesome. love jamming here. And last but not least, Shakina, thank you for being on my show. Thanks, Joel. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad to have had the opportunity. Thank you. Uh, from the Musical Theatre Factory in New York, this is Joel B. New. And Shakina saying thank you for dropping by for something new. <laughs>